Of course, we know that X-Men from the 90s is largely considered the definitive X-Men outside of the comic books. But still, there are some misunderstandings and plot holes that I think we could fill in since it's been a while. Let's rewind together to that rad time right after this killer track. Let's go back in time, we can just hit rewind. What a terrific notion, it's got to homies and home dogs we're back with more x-men i'm Cade, your favorite cartoon weirdo and of course there's the best banjo playing pig and most excellent cartoon co-host in the whole wide world jiggy the piggy we're coming to you live twice a month on facebook and youtube and through the skills of the cereal box network you can hear our audio version on Spotify and other podcast platforms. So thank you a bunch. Thanks bunches to the network for hosting our show. We really appreciate you guys. Together, we rewind to the tunes of the 80s and 90s for a brand new perspective in your life nowadays. In this episode, we're going back to X-Men the Animated Series for a whole new take. Now then, who puts the commotion in cartoon commotion? That's right, guys. It's you. Let's check in with the chat. I think there's there's not too many people here right now, but Jay is here, Julian Murray. If you're here, jump in the chat at any time and we'll bring you up on the screen like Jay here. Hello there. Hiya, Jay. Glad you could be here. All right, so if you're, yeah, again, if you are here, go ahead and jump in the chat at any time. Blow that chat up and we'll bring you up and we'll respond to you live awesome okay we'll return to the live chat towards the end of each of the three parts that we'll be covering in this episode so keep it locked homies now let's break down x-men the animated series Previously on Cartoon Commotion, we spoke with Saturday morning cartoon historian Mark McRae on the original X-Men The Animated Series and its production struggles, how it overcame all expectations set by executives and even uh, exceeded the expectations of the creative team behind the show. So if you missed that, you can find the previous episode linked wherever you're listening or watching this episode. Um, it, it's probably going to be in a playlist type thing <laughs> we have a playlist on youtube and i think on spotify you could find it all in one collection so uh this time around we're venturing into the untold uh into completely new territory game changing perspective shift stuff that might make you a bit confused at first but stick around because it's gonna blow your mind and make you all jazzed about x-men all over again X-Men had a run of 76 episodes from 1992 to 1997. The series took the comic book team and focused less on the fights and more on the dramatic tension between characters and their relationships. This series only changed one aspect of the mutants. It brought them into contact with normal humans more often, which was the basis of the entire series. Some of the antagonists weren't even supervillains. They were just misguided, angry, and fearful average humans some of the mutants would go up against uh, would give up their powers for the chance at a normal life there's a f there's few perspectives on their um, global situation that were given right away right after the right out of the gate in the first episode there's a few perspectives on their situation in this episode of Cartoon Commotion we'll be looking at how every single person watching could relate with Jean 
how Rogue's troubles might have been fixed entirely, and how Scott slash Cyclops has been misjudged severely. <laughs> All that and a little more coming at you fast, so hang tight, homies. Alrighty, Jiggy. Strum that bodacious banjo and let's kick this stream up to 117. Brace yourselves for the epicness that is part one! Gene's powers of relatability. Alright, let's dial it back a second, rewind, and elaborate on Jean's power set. She's telepathic, which means that she can read minds and communicate mentally, and she's telekinetic, meaning that she can also move objects with her mind. Uh, but you might not know that she had another ability uh, that's way beyond those, and that's kinda insane to even fathom. Until reading from the pages of Eric Lee Waltz previously on X-Men, I had no idea that Jean Grey wasn't originally supposed to be a main character at all. I, no, she wasn't. Uh, but in the crafting of the series, the writing caused her to grow out of a side character role and become the emotional core for the X-Family. Eric mentioned in his book that she became a beacon uh, for, or you could consider it an emotional hook for all of the other main characters to latch onto. But as the series progressed, we were introduced to the Phoenix Saga, and a less than obvious part of Jean's personality was brought to the surface in that saga. It's really neat to see how a side character can morph from an almost non-essential role to a very essential position in the story after just a, a little time spent on the material. Her additional power was explained during the events of the Phoenix Saga. That was uh, towards the tail end of the adventure, actually. The, the Phoenix explained that it chose Jean as a host body for itself because of her empathic abilities. Hold up! Okay, sit back and listen up, homies, because this is where things start to click and get Mondo super interesting. Personally, I, I honestly, for really dealio, I, I thought she was chosen by the Phoenix Force because she's a telepath. But no! It's way deeper and more realistic than that, okay? And I'll break that down for you in a minute, but I gotta say, back when I was watching this growing up, back then, I never would have had even the foggiest clue what an empath really was. I just thought it was, you know, because of all of her major mind powers, and the alien chose her to wield its crazy, funky superpowers because of that. I was clearly very wrong. And I think most everyone listening or watching right now pretty much figured that out already. But, you know, it's, I'm serious. If you already know this, I apologize. But I, I did a little digging. I've done some digging. <laughs> and, and I've got some information on empathy. Okay, so having empathy is the ability to understand and even share in the feelings of someone else. So it's actually way more relatable to us as something that we can experience ourselves. And you can go ahead and Google me on that. Go ahead and fact check it, whatever. It, it's real. Empathy is something that all humans can feel. 
Um, which, I mean, I hope you feel empathy. <laughs> uh, anyway, like as a viewer or a, a fan of the cartoon, we are... We're totally not going to be able to read minds or shoot lasers from our eyes or sprout a pair of bird wings or effortlessly toss a 1987 BMW like it's a football. Unless for some reason you uh, you connected with the X-Men because you're also a mutant in hiding. You can email us. We should do lunch sometime. Oh, for sure, Jiggy. It, it would be majorly dope if we could find some mutants and hang out at the mall sometime. We, we could have a mutant posse or something. <laughs> right on. Anywho, as a viewer, it's much more likely that we could connect with a very real and raw human experience, which is empathy. It's a feeling for other people, their emotions, feeling the way they feel, feeling for their situation and how they feel in it. That's, that's a clue for what I'm leading into. It's basically the same thing we do mentally every time we watch anything that features an emotional situation of any kind. If you don't feel for the characters in the slightest, that's just bad writing. It's, it's just bad. I mean, how many times do you put on a show and you're just like, well, I don't really care about these characters or what's going on, but I, I'm going to watch the whole thing. It's like maybe four hours long and... I don't care about anything that's going on or any any character in the show, but I'm going to watch the whole... Nobody does that. So, what I'm saying is, empathy is something we experience almost every time we watch almost anything. But in this case, Jean has an amplified empathic ability. She's also a telepath, which allows her to literally, literally feel what other people around her are feeling. So it's, you know, it's one thing to be able to read minds, but something entirely different altogether. If you're able to truly and legitimately feel what someone else is feeling. Okay. That's some deep stuff to work with on Saturday morning cartoons, nineties <laughs> X-Men. Oh, nineties X-Men pushed the limits when it came to not writing down to their audience like they they didn't write down to kids like oh it's as, as a kid watching they didn't put them on a lower level when they wrote this material and you know and i'm speaking from experience because i was a kid watching this show watching this cartoon and i didn't pick up on this this kind of went over my head but but it grew with me and i'll i'm connecting with it again as an adult and man i you gotta dig it you really gotta dig it, cause this is this is some deep stuff. So this level, this this level isn't something normal humans of the real world could possibly experience. Like there is such a thing as elevated empathy, and it's called being an empath. But there's no such thing as a telepath in reality. So the way the creative team of writers created an amplified personality type that we could connect with ourselves is rad to the max. Oh, Jiggy has something he'd like to add. Uh, what's up, buddy? A correctamundo, Jiggy. Jean's empathy plays a massive role with her character arc also, yes. Especially during the Phoenix Saga. With a mundo cosmic energy bird taking up residence in her mind, 
Gene's empathic abilities went bizarro nuclear. <laughs> and over here we have a slide image of Gene uh, taken over by the Phoenix, and this is when she turned dark. <laughs> the Phoenix Force just wanted to feel things, yo. Get a grip on the human experience. But instead, it ended up overwhelmed by Gene's mega-enhanced empathy. A tidal wave of raw emotion that sent it spiraling. It, it couldn't handle the emotional depth that Gene could tap into. The joy, the sadness, the fear, the love, everything all at once was just way too intense. So this emotional over, um, overload is what drove the Phoenix to go totally bonkers and turn dark. Even though the Phoenix Force went off the deep end, uh, Gene's empathic abilities ultimately created a lifeline tethering to her uh, ex-family. So, in a way, things were resolved. <laughs> the short of um, the short end of it, because uh, I can't, I can't, I don't want to break down the whole series for you, I, or even the Phoenix Saga. That's you know what? If you want me to do the Phoenix Saga, maybe we'll do a bonus video or maybe we'll save that for a special maybe <laughs> there's a lot to uncover there uh, that saga was brilliantly told in this series but even in the first two-part episode night of the sentinels we got a glimpse of how gene's um emotional how gene is the emotional stronghold for the team R right after the death of their teammate morph she came between cyclops and wolverine who was greatly affected by the loss and he openly blamed uh, the death of his friend on Cyclops' leadership. She defended Cyclops, saying it's not his fault. As Wolverine bailed out to clear his head, she tried to tell him that it wasn't his fault either, but he didn't really hear, him, uh, hear her. He was driving away in a fit of rage. <laughs> um, well, knowing what we know now, this wasn't just an instinct. Uh, she actually knew that he was blaming himself because she could sense it. I think looking back with that perspective really changes the whole thing. Like, I love it when things are revealed over time. Like I, like I said, growing up with us. But the more that this series laid out for us to pick up on, the more bodaciously fascinating it becomes, friendos. This wasn't something that you'd watch and be done with. Much like Batman the Animated Series, as your perspective grows, it grows with you. Your enjoyment and experience with the cartoon becomes entirely new when you watch it all over again. Oh, yes, Jiggy, there are a few people showing up right now. Let's check in and see what's happening. Hiya, chat! Alright, who's here? Mr. B-Man says, hi! Sherry Edgen says, Hiya, cartoon commotion. Mr. B-Man says, Didn't the movies give you the idea that the Phoenix was always a part of her? Yes, I think the movies, uh, the live-action movies kind of skewed the idea. They kind of twisted it a little bit because the Phoenix was totally different in the, um, in the animated series. Completely different. And Jay Julian Murray says, They should check out our mutant recruitment program. <laughs> Bro, I don't I think I think they kind of invented that program. We're a little behind on that <laughs> Yo, if you're here blow up the chat. We'll come back to that as we reach the end of part two 
thank you everyone who's here. Thank you, homies. Remember to slap that like button and share the episode wherever you can so we can keep this rad ret retrospective a rolling. You know, I really can't even possibly imagine what it would have been like to literally take in and feel the emotions going on in the hearts and minds of people that you care about. Jean cared about her entire team. And this is why the relationship triangle between Logan, Scott, and herself was so heartbreaking for her also. Because she could, she could feel what Logan was feeling too as she turned away from Logan's love for her and chose Scott. The, the trouble is that Scott and her were intertwined mentally and that's deeper than you might think also. Um, we'll go over that more in our third part, but I think, uh, I think you're going to have your mind blown even more with that one, so don't move a muscle. Before we explain how Scott had more to his character than you'd realize, I think we should look over Rogue's greatest struggle and the easiest and most unbelievable fix that nobody seemed to notice at all. Also, oh, you thought that was all we were gonna do? Uh uh! Now it's time for part two! Solving Rogue's problem. Rogue might have been super strong, but she was aching on the inside all the time. Rogue's powers kept her incapable of having a real relationship, incapable of touching another person. Eric Leewald said in his book that uh, this was a very sim simple human joy, but for her, it was heartbreaking. She couldn't touch another human being without draining them of power, strength, or energy, much like a parasite? but uncontrollably so, so it's major harsh. It wasn't something that she chose. She would have sooner chose any, anything else. Her inner struggle was, of course, majorly amplified by the situations that surrounded her. In the second episode, she was reminded of the boy that she kissed, Bobby, and here we have a slide image of her and Bobby. Um, he wound up hospitalized in a three-day coma as she accidentally drained him of his strength when they kissed. It's not hard to imagine how Rogue could feel like a monster because of her mutant abilities. Anyway, always. She was always careful not to get too close to who she cares about, in fear of how she might hurt them. A lot like in the episode Deadly Reunions, uh, Rogue apologized to her fellow X-Fam before using her powers on them all the time, uh, knowing the energy-draining effect it would have. In that episode in particular, Rogue has to do CPR on Cyclops. If she didn't, he would have died. In the process, she absorbed some of his power temporarily, and her eyes shot uncontrollable energy beams. Scott had to help her get them under control. Uh, basically just yelling, CLOSE YOUR EYES! <laughs> but it was a pretty intense moment if you watched it. Okay, it's not, it's not as silly as I'm making it out to be, but... But it, it was it was really intense. Besides uh, the mutants with physical appearance troubles, Rogue more than any of them wished for a cure. She longed for a real relationship, uh, but without being able to touch another human, she felt this was impossible. Bobby actually went to the extent of aligning himself with an alien race, all for the sake of a possible relationship with Rogue. Talk about a whack move! 
A totally whack move. He, he becomes some freaky space reptile in a desperate attempt to reunite with her. But thankfully, Rogue had her head in the right place and totally bailed on that whole deal. I, that's a whole other story. And if you haven't seen the series, I highly recommend that episode. It's really good. Um, she didn't want that life for Bobby or her or anyone, really. The sad thing is that Bobby actually chose to stay a part of that alien colony. Yeah. Cockroaches. Wolverine called them cockroaches. Rogue sort of blamed herself for this, too. And you gotta admit, that you gotta see how that would add to her troubles. Her aching soul, basically, because she feels responsible for that. That's terrible. And, of course, as an X-Men fam... Uh, <laughs> X-Men fam. As an X-Men fan, we all know that Gambit loves Rogue. He would flirt with her to no end, and she practically took this as a mockery of how she felt incapable of a relationship with anyone. She would she would turn all that and act like, like you've got to be kidding me, teasing me, you know, you got to be messing with me. Gambit, though, was seriously in love with her and made it apparent at any opportunity he could find. She was interested in him too, though. Season 1, Episode 9 of the Radical series, the X-Men crew were putting the X-Mansion back together after a juggernaut encounter. When Wolverine and Gambit had a beef between them, Rogue came between them, and Wolverine accused her for falling for the Cajun, as he put it. Professor X then learned some heavy, strange news about Dr. Adler's dodgy mutant cure. Uh, there's like a scheme going on over there on Muir Island in Scotland. Rogue had it with her powers, of course, and clearly interested in Gambit, she decided to check it out and kick her curse to the curb. Gambit wasn't down with that, though. Uh, he knew how dodgy a program like that sounded. However, Dr. Adler had actually already kicked the bucket long ago, and Mystique was posing as the doc. Mystique the shapeshifter, if you didn't know. <laughs> I hope you know if you're watching this, because this is an in-depth look at the series overall, so I, I highly encourage you to go back and watch X-Men the Animated Series after this episode, because there's so much like that would give you a completely new perspective on the show, on the cartoon after the fact. Uh, this was all a part of Apocalypse's terrible plan to enslave mutants looking for a cure. Spoiler alert! She didn't actually get cured or enslaved, so thankfully that whole deal flopped. The point is that Rogue wished to, um, wished so greatly to get rid of these powers that this was a curse. She would, she would get rid of it because it is nothing more than a curse to her. Of course, in that episode, she, she admitted like her powers are helpful, so she's going to keep them. <laughs> But, you know, she struggled with that up and down, up and down throughout the show, throughout the cartoon's existence. So how could Rogue have a relationship? What glaring detail could the writers have totally neglected so that you could feel for her and wish that she didn't have such a tragic life? Friendos, would you believe that after a full series rewatch, Jiggy and I have figured out exactly how they could have made a relationship work? <laughs> Good thinking, little buddy. We'll be right back. Increasing dramatic tension right after this. 
Yo, friendo, if you don't want to be a one-time donator or a monthly donator to the show, but you still kind of want to support us a little bit, besides hitting like and share and all that stuff that YouTubers always say, you can grab some commotion swag. Snag your own Jiggy shirt. That's the Cartoon Commotion logo featuring our very own banjo-playing pig. What are you waiting for? Link's in the description. Now on with the show. That's a good-looking shirt, right? <laughs> yep, there's a link in the description or show notes wherever you find this episode for the Jiggy shirt. So check that out if you get the chance. Alrighty, we are back. Now to answer the burning question. How could we have solved this problem for Rogue Genosha? That's it. <laughs> no, but really, Genosha is the solution to Rogue's power problems. Uh, she was looking for a cure... And there's literally a te technological fix right in front of her that I don't think she was capable of learning about. The writing totally held her back for our benefit as viewers. Like, if she had been able to figure this out, her emotional condition would be all good, yo. D correct a mundo, Jiggy. If she could have gone this route, we, we probably wouldn't have been able to feel for her the same way anymore. And that would have killed the core value of this series entirely. You are so right, Jiggy. But when you're right, you're right. <laughs> In episode 7 of season 1, Slave Island, Rogue is notably absent from the main plot and only comes in at the end in a rescue party. And this screenshot is actually from where she sort of comes into the picture. If she had been a part of the main story of this episode, then she might have gotten what she wished for so, so much. A way to experience human touch. You see, Genosha was a slave island, as the title implies, capturing and enslaving mutants, and they created something that might have helped Rogue in the long run. Now, I don't know how technical we could get with this, but... Well, actually, I, I'm sure a few of our homies might have some theories or insight on this already. John Ellis, I'm looking at you. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm sure he could come up with a couple theories. The mutant control agency behind Genosha had this, uh, at this point, created power neutralizing collars that go around, you know, around their neck. It was sort of barbaric, sure, uh, but they would actually completely cut off a mutant's powers. It, I mean, as, as far as I could tell. So pause and think for a minute of how this could have been a technology that mutants could have used to hide their mutations from an aggressive world, or at the very least, to live less intense lives. Rogue could have used this to start a true relationship with Gambit. He was willing to risk his life to be with her, and she would have removed her own powers forever if she could be with him. I mean, imagine you're in her shoes. This would be a major no-brainer if, if it worked this way. So I'm like, I'm not 110% positive it could work this way, right? But if it could work this way, she would have been unable... Uh, she would have been... No, she would have been able to live a semi-normal life. Without it, you could say that she was living as a prisoner in her own skin. Check out this picture. She's watching Jean and Scott holding hands, walking away. She's sitting at this uh, control center. It's, it's a really sad sight. 
you know, it's a totally relatable vibe that we all have sometimes, but she had it literally all the time. Homies, did you ever wonder why she wasn't capable of getting hold of this tech? Or uh, even, like, getting a miniaturized version of this technology where it, it would have been helpful to her plight, you know? I mean, have you ever even considered this as a possible solution for Rogue? That's that's what I want to know. I want to know if anyone else has ever thought about this, because to me it seems like a definite possibility. But yes, if she had anything like this at her disposal, she wouldn't have something personal that we could connect with, as Jiggy pointed out. The creative team behind X-Men knew that this was more about the emotions than the fights. This was relationships and personal struggles between those relationships. We related to her pain. We had major empathy for her, wishing she could overcome her inability to even just hold someone's hand without gloves on, that is. Oh, thank you for the reminder, little buddy. Let's jump on over to our live chat real quick. Homies, who's kicking it with us right now? We got some new chat messages. Uh, John Ellis! <laughs> John Ellis! Did you hear me say your name? Did you hear me say... Because I did say your name earlier, John. Okay. In the comic version of the Dark Phoenix arc, one of the most memorable sequences was when Jean... Visited her family and realized to her horror that the Phoenix Force removed all her filters and boundaries. Suddenly she knew everything her parents and sisters thought and felt. Nothing sacred, nothing private. A normal human would have trouble coping with that, much less a nigh omnipotent cosmic en entity. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty large take on, on Phoenix overall. My thought on Jean was more on what she dealt with on the regular combined with what the Phoenix uh, did in the in the animated series. But that's a good note from the comics, John. Thank you for that. It's interesting. Nostalgic! I, I'm hoping I'm saying that the right way and that it sounded super awesome. <laughs> hey, yo! Tuning in at, the, at pet, Petco time. Oh, at Petco. While I find some pain relief solutions for my old doggo. Aw, that's, that's adorable. I hope your dog does well. Jimmy, Jimmy has a channel, Nostaljack, and it is super awesome. It's rad to the max. If you get a second, go check it out. He does sort of what I do, but like on the vastness of the 80s and 90s, and, and he does it in this really cool micro-documentary style. So if you've never seen one of his videos, I highly recommend it. Go check him out, Nostaljack. B-Man, Mr. B-Man, he says every character made the show, even the ones that were supposed to be bad. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, like uh, Magneto, I mean, kind of in a gray area there because um, Professor X was like best friends with Magneto, so that's very true. So, hiya, Nostalgic, hiya, John, hiya, J-Man, you're still here, I, I, if you're still here, get in the chat, man. Uh, Mr. B-Man, every character made the show. Yes. Okay. Uh, thanks. Thank you so much for being here, guys. We'll come back to that live chat near the end of part three. So hang tight till then, homies. We've got more to talk about. So Rogue's greatest personal struggle was something that we connected with. We could resonate with her with the feeling of 
greatly desiring something that we could never actually have. I, I think that's a very human feeling. According to the story, these collars suppress mutant's powers, meaning they could temporarily cut off the use of a mutant's power. And I'd be interested to see if they could, you know, if that could work uh, for Rogue at all. But then again, I also completely understand the value of her not getting this solution. No, no problem, Jiggy Dude. Come on in and say what you gotta say. Jiggy? Oh, yeah. No, I know it's a bummer, little buddy. We all want Rogue's troubles to be over so she can be happy. But that's the whole deal, you know? Right, because why would we care for a character if everything's a total cakewalk for him? It, it would do the writing zero favors. It's just like you said earlier, buddy. You know, the creative team behind the series knew that all too well, and I think that's why Rogue wasn't on Slave Island. Now then, our show's not quite over. We gotta kick things up to 117 one more time as we explore one of the cartoon's worst misconceptions. <laughs> Alright, let's wrap this up real nice with Part 3. Scott's not as wimpy as we thought. <laughs> okay, I mean, I cannot mention I can't not mention that the slide here features Wolverine's gut punch to Cyclops in the second part of the pilot episode. It's a classic moment for sure. He's all like, you know nothing, little man. <laughs> this is hysterical, okay? Okay. Moving on. Scott's not as wimpy as we all thought. I know that's a very strange title, but... You know what, homies? I can almost guarantee that earlier on in your viewing of X-Men the Animated Series, you thought of Scott like a stick in the mud. A stick in the mud leader that was always whining about Gene. Whining about Gene all the time. And this perspective probably carried over as the property of the X-Men got even more animated ad adaptations. Uh, X-Men Evolution and um, uh, Wolverine in the X-Men. I've spoken to a few X-Men fans over the years, and most people I meet often tell me that Scott, Cyclops, is a wimp or whiny or just plain annoying. <laughs> and yeah, okay, I guess there's times where a character like him could be seen as any of those trope stereotype things. But... Jiggy and I want to give you a completely new perspective on this. Uh, of course, this does tie back to our earlier topic featuring Gene, so you you have to think back to that segment of our stream here. The, the first topic, the first um, part of our stream tonight. Gene was always, from the start, a telepathic empath, or an empath empathetic telepath <laughs> it's gene was always a telepathic empath meaning she could actually feel what others are feeling and feel for them and internalize their feelings also keep that in mind now scott had the pressure of making command decisions uh, keeping everything in check for professor x as an extension of his leadership on the field professor x couldn't be out there on the field fighting crime and saving the day with the x-men so Scott typically filled that position, being the leader out there on the field and keeping everything in check. All the while, Gene and Scott actually had a mental link. Scott 
could mentally feel for her just the same as she for him. This is like marriage on a deeper level, okay? I, I want to say that one more time, just in case anybody didn't pick up on that. This is like marriage on a deeper level. It's mental, okay? Though it occasionally seemed as though Scott was a broken record playing the jeans not around blues every time she vanished for an episode, it was never actually that simple. The agony was intense. It was like he was sharing a soul with Jean, and every separation felt like a part of him was being painfully ripped out every second they were apart, and it got worse the longer it took for them to reunite. Okay, so... This is very intense. It's it's not it's not just him wishing she would return. It's not just him worrying for her. It was so much more than just emotions. Their minds were tethered together through a, a true mental link. It was like half of yourself being ripped away and nothing to numb the pain, like a limb being slowly pulled from your body. The torture this would feel like must have been majorly harsh on the both of them. Oh, what's up, little buddy? You got something you want to add? Oh, yeah, excellent. Very good, very good point, Jiggy. Yes, Jean was feeling this too. Yes, she was. But it was slightly different for her. Because <laughs> she, unfortunately couldn't help Scott through this. While she too felt the divide between them, the Phoenix Force kept her control locked down during their longest time apart, which was the Phoenix Saga. So, this is more to do with the Phoenix Saga, but it explains how Scott is through the series. It's not exclusively to do with the Phoenix Saga. It's it just that is the longest time they were apart from each other. Uh... The Phoenix was feeding off of all of her emotion, uh, emotions that she was experiencing at the time. So no doubt, the same mental havoc that was occurring in Scott's mind, in a way, was... Um, the same mental havoc was occurring in Scott's mind that was happening in her mind, in a way, as he was detached from her. Okay? This, I believe, actually, ironically, makes Scott the one who suffers the most during this situation. Attempting to restore their lives and reunite with his love, working every second to keep a clear head and make on-the-spot leadership decisions, that didn't serve his own purposes, and that got really difficult for him. How to do that when your mental state is being stretched to its limits is like... It's like a rubber band about to snap and send you spiraling just just as bad as the phoenix amazing it's really truly amazing when you when you hit the pause button and ponder all that he might have been experiencing the entire time i can't help but think differently of his character it's totally wowzers right this paints his person in a whole new light and i i hope to see a whole lot less of scott's a major bummer buzzkill bossy loser pose okay and more people seeing the struggles that he was facing as a leader and a personally between himself and Jean. Come on, people. Come on. If you were dealing with all that, I think you'd have acted no better than this tight, laser-blasting leader dude. As we said in our previous episode, Margaret Lesh knew these mutants would make good television because you could connect to them like real people with real struggles. 
characters who weren't just fighting for good or evil. They, they were fighting for ideals, for what's right in a world gone wrong. Something the world could relate to timelessly. But it was told best in the 90s. Hey, if you need more X-Men, you can check out our previous episode with Mark McRae. Oh, and yeah, we still check our emails because we're cool like that. Every which way you can contact us is at cartooncommotion.com. That's one word, cartooncommotion.com. Or, you know, a Google search could find us too. We, you know what? We're going to check in one more time with the live chat because we got a little time here. Galaxy Unicorn Art saying, Hi, Kate. I love your show. Jay says, Huh, so a tele-empath. <laughs> That's a nice way to end the show, Jay. That's really good. Because <laughs> I was stumbling saying te telepath, empath. At the, so he was just... he was. <laughs> Thanks for that, Jay. That was, that was really great. Our next episode is going to be on Garfield and how dramatic things started for him. It's, it's really surprising just how much that changed and how essential that was. So... That tubular rewind will be live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on November 18th on Facebook and YouTube. Until then, as always, keep it unreal. If you enjoyed the show, the only way it grows is if you share it with a homie. So think and now, come join the commotion, cartoon commotion. Come join the commotion, yeah, cartoon Cookie shoutouts! Eric Grant, Carrie Cube, Legion of Comics, Marsha Sullivan, Sherry Edgett, Kate Utterback, and of course, ToySock.com. And just so you know, we are brought to you by the fine folks of the Serial Box Network. Serialboxnetwork.com. Lay us out, Jiggy.